The secret to happiness is freedom, and the secret to freedom is courage. Thucydides Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 21 of Emetophobia Help. I'm Anna Christie from Vancouver, Canada, recovered emetophobic, licensed psychotherapist specializing in emetophobia, and your host for this podcast. Today, my guest is Nicole Lamines. I haven't asked how to say your last name. Is that right? It's Lamines. Lamanis. Yeah. Nicole Lamanis. I knew I, I would get it wrong, but in uh, <laughs> who is from Arizona. Well, hi, Nicole, and welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having um, me. Oh, yeah. I, I'm really excited to talk with you um, about how you were traveling and how you managed to do that with emetophobia. Um, but I, I think everybody would really like to hear your story first of um, how you, you know, when you how long you've had emetophobia, what it was like when you were growing up. Um, sure. So uh, over to you. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think it's pretty common storyline amongst a, a lot of emetophobes that ever since I was a little girl, I've always just had this fear of getting sick, of vomiting. And, you know, trying to figure out those feelings and understand it when you're young is just, it's so difficult. And, I didn't really realize it was like a thing or that it was an actual phobia until I was probably in my early twenties. And it, it was just, it was hard. I can't really pinpoint if it was like one specific situation um, that happened that triggered it. But I, ever since I can form memories, I've just had this deep, deep fear of vomiting. Um, you know, I have done different types of therapies in the past and currently working with another therapist now doing some EMDR type of stuff, which seems to be helping. Um, it's definitely a slow okay. progress, but at least it's, you know, it's something I feel like it is a step in the right direction. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I had some EMDR as well when I was going through therapy. I mean, it's not like um, sometimes some people think it's like an instant cure or something, but it, mm -hmm. it's not. But I appreciated it for what it opened up about my past and my childhood that I didn't yeah. realize was so important to me exactly. um, in a negative sense, really, that, and, until I did the EMDR. And I guess for our v, uh, li listeners who aren't familiar, uh, EMDR stands for um, Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing, and it, um, it can the eye movement, it can also, so the therapist kind of waves his or her fingers alternately right and left or, but now it can also be done with your hearing um, with sounds on headphones, right and left or tapping on your knees or hands, right and left. And it really does override all the thinking parts of your brain. So it just gets down to the emotion. Right. Does that make sense? You're nodding your head, but no one can see you but me. <laughs> so, yeah, that's good. Uh, yeah. That's good. And have you, how, how, how bad is your emetophobia now? Now, would you say like one to a hundred? Um, you know, it is something that I deal with on a day to day. Um, however, 
it's not to the point where I don't leave my house. I mean, aside from COVID right now, um, yeah. I, 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 I'm not, I don't allow it to, to control too much of myself. However, when I first was really dealing with this in my early teens and again, in my early twenties, um, I was really a recluse. I, I did allow the anxiety and the, and the panic attacks to really affect me and just kind of keep me at home. Um, so now mm-hmm. I would say it's probably in the 50 to 60 range. Like it's there, but I, I try and live my life as normal as possible. I guess you could say, um, I still do things with family, with friends and push myself, you know, to do things that are kind of out of my comfort zone because I know in the long term it'll be beneficial. Right. And, uh, one of the things that you told me on the survey I sent around at the beginning, uh, was that you went, you took a trip to Asia, which I think most of our listeners are like, what? How did you yeah. do that? So tell us all about your trip to Asia and how you felt before and after and all that. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I've i always had a, a passion for other cultures and for traveling and, and I always wanted to travel, but especially with this phobia, like this is an emetophobe's worst nightmare sometimes, you know, having to go on airplanes and, and boats and ships and be around different people. So the weeks leading up to our departure were hard. I was racked with nightly anxiety attacks. And thankfully, I was going with my mom and my two aunts. So it was all family. And my mom is my best friend. She She's my person. You know, all, I know a lot of emetophobes we can relate. You know, you've got that person that you just... You can talk to them. They they kind of get you back off the ledge. They understand. They're there. So that was that was a little comforting. Um, but the the plane ride there, I had to be medicated. Um, I, I had to go to my doctor and get some. It was like Xanax, so to speak, um, to just kind of oh. calm the nerves because we were on an airplane going from LAX to Tokyo, and it was like fourteen and a half hours straight. And right. <laughs> we boarded the plane and my anxiety just immediately, I mean, like, just like that, I was on the plane, I started hyperventilating and I was like, mom, I can't do this. Like I'm in tears at this point, just so scared out of my mind that something I'm going to get sick on this plane. Like that is, that was the only thought in my mind. So luckily my medication kicked in. I was able to relax enough to sleep for the most part and nothing that I thought was going to happen happened. Nobody around me was sick. Thankfully I wasn't sick. We finally got to our destination, you know, in full, Mm -hmm. we were fine. So that was the first part that I had to get over. The second part that was the most difficult to really grasp was I was going to be on a cruise ship for 21 days. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, this is something that also um, right. people are going, what? I know. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Cause all right, cool. Yeah, yeah. It was, you know, it was kind of, you know, once in a lifetime opportunity for me um, to kind of mm-hmm. go see this other side of the world that otherwise I'd never would have known. So I kind of felt like right. I need to do it. Like I would be dumb not to go. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, we, we stayed, we spent some time in Thailand and then we, we ended up getting on this giant cruise ship and we were at sea like for the first two days and the water was so rough. I, the first two nights I was trying really hard not to get sick. Like I remember just like praying and 
sitting there with mm. my mom feeling the waves and everything. And I was like, just horrified that I can't believe I'm on this trip. What am I doing to myself? <laughs> like, I'm, there's no way I'm going to survive this. Um, thankfully, it subsided. The, the rough water did. Um, and I managed to meet some people, actually some people from Arizona even, on this mm. giant cruise ship. But more than that, just other people from different countries, from Canada, from Europe, everywhere. And I was able to kind of keep my mind busy with them. You know, like I had this group of people that I could hang out with and I didn't have to sit in my room and focus on this phobia that just so much really like takes over your life. Um, But I will admit, uh, I brought like a backpack full of like my own food. (laughs) Oh, is that right? And there's such good food over there too. (laughs) Not on a cruise ship. Like I was convinced if I'm going on this cruise, I need to have my own food because all they have are like buffets and everything. And that's how people get sick. So Um, I didn't want to be any campus. So I had like bars. I had like instant oatmeal, those types of things that I traveled with all the way from the U.S. Wow. And and I've heard that the food on cruise ships is like fantastic too. Right. I wouldn't know. (laughs) Right. Right. That's so, okay. You did what you can. I like I like this story. Yeah, keep going. <laughs> so we get to these beautiful places. We go to Vietnam. We go to different cities in China. We mm-hmm. went to South Korea. We went to uh, Japan, Nagasaki, like just some of these amazing wow. Wow. places that I would have never gone to before, you know. So I really tried hard to focus on being thankful and being in the moment, you know, but I'd be lying if I said that that trip was easy as far as anxiety and this phobia goes. It was, it was tough. It was really hard. I I struggled daily, you know, feeling twinges of anxiety and nausea. And, you know, when you're in a big group of people and, you know, you're on these trips and it's, it can be really daunting. Um, I think if my mom hadn't been there, it would have been way worse (laughs) for me. Right. But that's, that's, Probably true. Yeah. I mean, she probably made it possible for you to go in the first place. Exactly. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So so we're getting closer now to the end of our trip. We have a couple days left on the ship. Mm -hmm. And we get a captain over the intercom, you know, and says that we're going into a lockdown situation because guess what just outbroke all over the ship? Oh, norovirus. Oh, no. So I, I I remember hearing that announcement and I looked at my mother and she saw my eyes and she was like, Oh, no. And I was like, we're doomed. We're doomed. I'm like, this is it. I'm, I'm gonna get sick. I'm gonna get noro. I'm gonna end up in a hospital in China that I don't even know what they're gonna say. You know, I, I was so scared. So Mm -hmm. we were all basically for the last two days on that ship, we couldn't leave our rooms, you know, so Thankfully, oh, that's too bad too. Yeah, it, mm-hmm. it was. It was a bummer. Um, we had to leave mm-hmm. uh, South Korea earlier than expected because of it. Mm-hmm. So we got to China. It was it was snowing and it was cold, and they had us all have to get off at like different times, so nobody would get in contact with each other. And we all were handed right. like a a health card that just was in Chinese and all these different languages. Yeah had any symptoms you had to go to the nearest medic and everything and by the grace of god or something whatever you want to believe in none of us got sick (laughs) out Mm -hmm. without you know Mm -hmm. without getting ill but that was all i could think of i mean there was at least two nights on that cruise where 
I was miserable. I was so miserable. I was just crying. I felt so, I had never felt so sick before and so alone, even though my mm-hmm. mom is like sleeping next to me, but it was just, mm-hmm. it was hard. It was really hard. Um, yeah. But I'm glad I did it. I'm very glad. You're glad did you it. did it. That's a nice, that's a really impressive thing to say at the end of that story that you were glad that you did it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, well, because- you know, it's hard, you know, you're to have that kind of fear, you know, people are like, okay, nobody likes to throw up, right? Nobody likes to throw up. It's gross, whatever. But I don't think people really understand the, the, the gravity of how bad, like a metaphobics, like it's more than just like a fear or unpleasant, yeah. you know, it, it's so you just paralyzed. Yeah, it, well, it is um, a very, under-researched phobia. And um, there are some people very dedicated to the research around it, but very few. And also it's, uh, in my experience and the other therapists that I talk to that treat it, it is almost always severe. So in other words, you don't meet someone who just has a mild phobia, you know, they get a few heart palpitations. No, it's always really, really scary. And I think that, um, you know, if there are other therapists listening and parents listening, which I believe there are, um, you know, just to kind of say that, that the person that you're dealing with is so scared, you have no idea. Right. I mean, as a kid, I couldn't verbalize that, you know, it's like, you know, my mom knew that I didn't like getting sick, but, you know, and the fact that she had no idea that I suffered for so many years with it, you know, yeah. She doesn't yeah. I mean she doesn't suffer from it. She doesn't but she's empathetic thankfully to it. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't I was like too embarrassed to tell my mom right. what I was afraid of. So my mom was like, "Why won't she go to school? Why won't she get on this bus? Right. Why doesn't she want to go to the Santa Claus parade? What exactly. is wrong with this kid?" You know, she right. would take me to therapists and I would sit there and not tell them either. Exactly. Because I think I was pretty sure this was the 1960s that I would be locked up and they'd throw away the key, you know, which they wouldn't have done. But anyway, yeah, the um, it is an embarrassing phobia. Yeah. People are ashamed to have it. I don't know why, even though I was someone who was ashamed to have it, I still don't quite get why, why? we don't want to tell people or why we, you know, but because of it's so embarrassing, uh, you don't hear about it. You know, it's not written into the scripts of uh Grey's Anatomy or exactly. whatever, exactly. you know what I mean? Like, you, yeah. it's just, it's not out there. Um, And yet there are millions upon millions of people who suffer from it and um, just finding each other. Wow. What would you say? Like, to me, it sounds like you're an extremely courageous person. Um, But but how do you account for your ability to just kind of go for this? When I know a lot of people listening, no matter how much they would love to, they, they wouldn't be able to bring themselves to even get on a plane or whatever. Yeah. Um, I, I really deeply feel for them like to have that fear, you know, um, to that point of not being able to take an opportunity. Um, it, 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 I seriously contemplated it as well. You know, I, I thought, Mm -hmm. is it really going to be worth the anxiety and the emotional distress of going on this trip, you know? And ultimately I think, 
100% of it was because I was going with family. My mom was going to be there. If the circumstances were slightly differently, I probably would not have gone because there's been other things in my life where I don't, I didn't go or I didn't do something because of this phobia. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, so I, I think that it takes time to get to a place with the phobia, um, of realizing that you can be stronger than it and it doesn't have to control every little part of your life. Um, I know that there's varying levels of it and different, you Mm -hmm. know, people deal with it differently. Um, but I think if you get to a point where you're, you're wanting to try and get better and, you know, push it, that's kind of where I've been for the last several years of just trying to get past it and not let myself get stuck in that, in that cycle. Yeah. Yes. Um, there's a, there's a new book out, um, called, I've, I've talked about it a bit before the emetophobia manual by Ken Goodman, who's a social worker who wrote, who treats emetophobia and wrote this book. And, uh, I'm going to try to get him on this show, uh, oh, next awesome. season, but, um, yeah. but he, his whole thing, I just finished it this afternoon and his whole thing is about like, make your phobia and metaphobia into a monster in your mind that you're embattled with mm-hmm. and like, just tell it to get lost yeah. to, you know, that you can't beat me. You can't knock me down. I'm going to do things in spite of you. Um, I, and there's like three or 400 pages of, of wow. that. <laughs> I mean, awesome. he also, he also has you do exposure of course, because that's really the only um, evidence-based treatment for phobia. Um, and, and he's got all kinds of cool stuff in the book and I've seen one of his videos before too. Um, I don't, I don't treat it exactly the way he does, but Hey, you know, right. whatever, whatever works. Absolutely. Um, have you had CBT before? Have you done exposure and response prevention? I've never done full on exposure therapy. So, um, I have had, uh, therapists in the past do some CBT stuff. Um, I always struggled really hard with it though. Um, and I don't know if it was just cause I wasn't ready to put in the, the work for it. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Exposure therapy for me is watching TV shows, movies as well. You know, when a character gets sick, yeah. you know, there's yeah. moments where it could ruin my day if I don't right. if I'm not expecting it, you know, you see it and you're just like, Oh, like, yeah. Really? well, yeah. And I mean, that's a type of exposure, but it's not very therapeutic. Right. Right. Exactly. So it's exposure, but not really exposure therapy, you yeah. know, exposure therapy has to be structured from super easy, like a right. little drawing stick mm-hmm. man with a line coming out of his mouth, you know, <laughs> right. start with that, right. Before yeah. you get to a video <laughs> of somebody, um, and, and go little baby steps by little baby steps. Um, yeah. on my website, which I'll give the address at the end, there's a whole hierarchy of for therapists to use. It's all free. doesn't have any advertising on the site. Don't have to put your email in unless you want my free booklet, but um, yeah, so it's there for people to use. So yeah, find yourself, um, you know, uh, somebody, there are people in Arizona. I'm pretty sure actually I've got a therapist list on my website too. There might be someone in there. Whereabouts in Arizona? Do you mind saying, or you can tell me later? Oh, it's in in the Phoenix area, suburb of Phoenix Phoenix area. Yeah. 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 That's the only city I know in Arizona. Yeah. (laughs) 
I've never been there actually, but um, come in the dead of summer if you do. (laughs) I've heard that. Yeah, I've heard that. Well, you know, I also was thinking about your story about taking the Xanax before you got on the plane. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, like I, when I, I would not get on a, I would absolutely not get on a plane or a bus or anything. Um, But once my, I recovered from my emetophobia, I was like, okay, now I have to get on a plane, especially by myself, where I don't know who's sitting on anywhere around me. And I don't worry about myself on a plane, because when I was a kid, I flew on planes all the time. And, you know, but I I don't get motion sick or anything. But I just didn't want to be sitting beside anybody who did. Um, And so the first few times I started, I joined a committee that was in Toronto, which is a um, five and a half hour flight from here uh, and, and five hours on the way back. And it, um, I started and I, I started by taking Ativan like to the point where I would be like almost asleep. Then my husband and I went to Europe cause our daughter moved there. So we went to see her and I was asleep the entire time. Like I, I don't even remember anything about the entire flight to Europe. But as the years went on, eventually I was like, you know, if I take this out of that, I'm going to be like tired all the next day too, mm-hmm. you know? And so when I get home, I'm going to waste another whole day because it's going to make me sleep for like 18 hours or something. <laughs> so I stopped. I just, and I was okay. I was fine. I used to do that with the dentist. I used to take it. And then uh, one time I had too much to do to sleep all afternoon. <laughs> so I, I, and I was like, yeah, I'm okay. So the thing about those uh, benzo type drugs, you know, lorazepam, clonazepam, Valium, all that stuff is that's what they're for. Very right. rare occasional use. Right. And they will rescue you out yeah. of a big problem that you think you're in. Um, if you take them every day and stuff, then you start to get into trouble and they don't work anymore. And then you can't stop taking them and yada, yada. You don't want that. Yeah. But uh, for every once in a while to get you over a little hump like that, you should, I did you have any, when the announcement came over for the norovirus? I did. And I, I of course also had my script of, um, promethazine or phenergan as you want to call it my anti-emetic because that was like that helped me more than any other medication out there um just yeah you know kind of like a safety thing I guess maybe I don't know yeah Yeah. it is is. and you have to start out that way unless you're in a proper CBT program with with um exposure and response prevention then yeah, you have to you have to have these safety behaviors to kind of get through life. Um, ultimately, of course, if you work with a therapist, what we want as your goal is to not is to get rid of them all and not to have them and not to carry them in your purse and mm-hmm. you know all of that. But you can't do that cold turkey, not yeah. without some good support. But well, Nicole, I think you're an amazing person. Oh, it's um, absolutely great to have talked with you. I think your your story is going to be very inspirational to a lot of people who are listening. We're getting more and more listeners all the time. Um, so I want to thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. I really appreciate it. This was great. And thank you to all of you who are listening this week and subscribing each week. It's absolutely fantastic. We've had over 6,000 podcasts 
downloads to date, which is just amazing. Um, there are costs associated with producing this podcast. So if you find it helpful, you can buy me a coffee. Just look down to the bottom of the notes on this episode. You'll see a, a link right there where, that you can click and buy me a coffee for a couple of bucks or a couple of pounds. Um, I encourage you also to go to my website at emetophobiahelp.org. It has a ton of information for emetophobics and all the resources you need as a therapist to treat emetophobia with traditional CBT um, exposure and response prevention. That's emetophobiahelp.org or just Google emetophobia help. Back with you next week. <laughs>